And we are back with another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand. Ben and I are out at TCO. Thank you for waving on Zoom. Yep. Ben. I, I mm-hmm. appreciate You're that. in the next room, but I... Yeah. <laughs> we are back at TCO Performance Center where the Vikings are practicing for the second time this afternoon of camp. It is still not real football yet. Football is not back, depending on what the marketing or despite what the marketing materials will tell you because they won't put on pads until Monday. And then, then they'll be playing real football, but we have plenty. Well, we're back together on Saturday. We are back together on Saturday. That's another marketing uh, slogan because I, is that the Both day, them. is that the day where fans are coming back yes. to practice? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So back, get the family back together because football is family. Mm-hmm. Football is family. Faith, we gotta family hit. football. Faith, family football. I'm really glad we get paid per NFL slogan that we mentioned. That's good. Um, all right, so let's get into all the storylines of Vikings training camp. It would not be Vikings training camp if there wasn't a hiccup of drama right beforehand, uh, where Quasi Adolfo Mensa is quoted from back in May in a story that dropped just before camp in USA Today, uh, mentioning that the one asset that you get worried about not burning it down is quarterback. And we followed up with him, the media, local media, followed up with him um, on the onset of camp when the GM talks and the head coach talks. And Quasey clarified that he was mentioning that in a theoretical point of view about building a roster and taking over a roster in the NFL, not about Kirk Cousins. However, he does mention in that same story that we don't have Tom Brady, we don't have Pat Mahomes, talking about Patrick Mahomes, not the Twins pitcher. And we, and saying that it is much easier, obviously, to win the Super Bowl if you have that guy. However, saying it is unlikely to ever get that guy. A lot of what we already knew, but it didn't mean that it didn't cause a kerfuffle at TCO Performance Center where Quasi is saying, I just need to say less, apparently. Him learning on the job right then and there. And Ben, I liked Mark, our colleague, Mark Craig. His first question was, why do you need to say less? Wouldn't saying more help? But here we are. Um, And Ben, we heard from Kirk today, and all he would say is basically he didn't pay attention to any of it. Yeah. Um, I I will try to condense my thoughts on this because probably only 30% of them are interesting to the people that don't uh, deal with this every day. But this is kind of one of those things that passes as a controversy in 2022 when you take the guy who – will retire with every meaningful NFL record and has more Super Bowls, more Super Bowl appearances than anybody by a clear margin. And you say, we don't have that guy. That that shouldn't really be that controversial, nor should it be controversial to say our quarterback who has not been an NFL MVP is not at the level of a 25, 26 year old who has been there and has been to two Super Bowls, including winning one. Um, but we end up here because of the ecosystem we live in. And again, we can get into that probably further at a different time. If you ever want to get me going, um, shoot me, you know, I'm happy to, uh, test out my lecture or whatever would happen if I ever teach a journalism class. But yeah, I mean, we end up in this boat a little bit because I think in part to Mark's point that if, if you are candid enough you'd hope that we'd get to this spot where people say, okay, it's, it's not that weird for somebody to just call a spade a spade and we wouldn't overreact to it maybe in the same way. Now, I also realize there are a lot of reporters. There are a lot of sites that aggregate everything that 
is said to a reporter and create their own content from it. And that's kind of how we get to this point where everything blows up into a big deal. And the team is saying, whoa, hang on, we made this became a bigger problem than we thought it was going to become, or we didn't even know it was going to become a problem and it did. But it's uh, that's kind of the, the landscape we live in. And it's one of those things where if, if you're someone that consumes NFL content, which obviously you do if you're listening to this podcast, it behooves you to consume that content with a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of wisdom about how it all comes together and, and what's worth reacting to and what's worth kind of saying, this is a little bit manufactured and this is a little bit silly. And especially because, Ben, like you said, the reason why it's overblown is because it wasn't telling us, right, Mike, anything we didn't already know. No, the Vikings do not have Tom Brady. No, they don't have Patrick Mahomes. Two teams do in the entire league. Um, And the whole premise of it being that you're going to have to put together a pretty great team to win the Super Bowl around any quarterback who's not an all-time great. Yeah, it's basically just Kwesi saying the quiet part out loud, right? The part that we you can look at historically and say, yeah, with the exception of these outlier seasons where either you had an exceptional defense and someone like Trent Dilfer or I think even like a rookie Ben Roethlisberger when he was more like a game manager early in his career, Roethlisberger, you know, there's been a handful of examples. The year the Broncos won the Super Bowl and their quarterback play was pretty much terrible when they were alternating between Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler, I think, and Manning was basically cooked like Aside from those few exceptions, it's either the star quarterback who's going to win the who's going to win the Super Bowl, or it's like someone who's pretty good, like gets really hot, like Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco. or you know something. Have what's that? Uh, the, we said the same name. That's yeah. a yeah. That's a, that's, that's the prime, prime example. example. And Eli Manning, you know, he's a good yeah. quarterback, but not considered one of the elite. So you know, but it is. I think it's the part that's interesting isn't just that he's saying it it's that there's this kind of that it gives you at least a, a window into his thought process and kind of probably some of the evaluations he went through in the off season when he was trying to decide what are we going to do long term with the quarterback spot and probably realizing that he's it, it's hard right now to do anything about it um that to, to to find any kind of meaningful upgrade to take a swing in the draft or whatever so the the prudent play at this point was to you know give cousins that extra year and kind of see how things go this year but you know understanding and he was saying it that he he kind of realizes that if they're going to win a super bowl here it's almost certainly not going to be with kirk cousins and that maybe that foreshadows that this thing is going to end uh before kirk cousins is done playing football well it was interesting too Quasi said something on Tuesday when he talked about you want to basically give yourself, or maybe it was in the story. I, I it's all running together, but you want to give yourself three or four shots at things because you don't know if every one of them is going to work. I mean, he said the thing about you never want to go full Rams, um, meaning you don't want to push all your chips in the middle because you don't know if it's going to work. That thought process when he said that, and he said something about it Tuesday too, because I remember sitting there in the press conference whispering to. I I can't remember if you were sitting next to me, Andrew. I think you were. Um, I said, this sounds almost verbatim like the way you used to hear Theo Epstein talk when he was the general manager of the Red Sox. It was the the GM's job is to give a team chances to get in. And then you hope that 
one of them hits and you get hot enough in a short playoff series to, to go all the way. But the GM's job is to create chances to be in the playoffs. So not burning it down is, I think, probably motivated a little bit by that thought process. But it is, it is difficult because there are, I mean, we, we would say probably, and this is the funny thing about it, these guys all get compensated very handsomely, so we don't need to feel bad for them. But Kirk Cousins is probably, you know, depending where you put him, say the 15th best quarterback in the league, maybe 10th, maybe 8th, you know, wherever you want to put him, somewhere in that range. Um, that means he is the 8th or 10th or 15th best in the world at his job. And I don't know that you would have many people that could say I am the 12th best in the world at the thing I do. And uh, I, I just don't know that you're, there's just too many things in the world that are hard to be that good at that. Most of us aren't going to say that just by nature of the job, you get paid so well because it is a rare thing. And that also means there's a fair amount of criticism that comes with it. That's part of it. I'm not saying that anybody should feel bad for anybody in that boat, because that's part of what you sign up for. You know that, but the thing I would say, and this is from conversations with him, but you know who the other person who would readily admit that Kirk Cousins is not Tom Brady is Kirk, Kirk Cousins. Cousins. Yeah. I've had that conversation with him. Um, yeah. It was more about, um, Brady came up, but Aaron Rodgers came up in that conversation with Philip Rivers. He knows where he is. I mean, he he's fairly self-aware about his place in the pecking order. He's, I mean, you, you'll hear him say it. He said, I've been a and you heard him say, I've been a 500 quarterback. I've I've only done this, but I haven't done this. And I, I don't think he would be sitting here saying, Well, wait a minute, you're you're saying I'm not Tom Brady? Like, well, of course you're not. No one in the history of the game is Tom Brady, and no one has probably played the position like a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers. I, I think he knows what he is. I mean, he's a guy that has been a, a successful NFL quarterback for 10 years heading into year 11. That's pretty rarefied error, but I, I don't think he is sitting here saying, how dare you disrespect me like that? I, I think he he's pretty clear-eyed, at least in the, the times that I've talked with him about it, about what he is, what he's not. And he's trying to get to the point where he's more than what he's been, but that's the tricky part about this. It's just there aren't that many of those guys that can just go transcend the entire thing and win by themselves. So if you don't have that guy, kind of like what Quasi was saying, you have to do one of two things. Try to take the burn it down approach and hope you get a guy in a rookie contract that you can build around. We've seen that work at times, at least to get to a Super Bowl with you know, the Rams and Jared Goff or Garoppolo or you know, take your pick there. But uh, Or you have to probably engineer it without that guy like the Vikings have tried to do. So it is not an easy thing. And it's why we see a lot of people take big swings at the quarterback position because it's hard to get right. But I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is sitting here saying, how, how dare somebody say that I'm not Tom Brady? I just, I think he knows that. I don't think he's that worried about it. He definitely didn't say though, that he didn't come out there necessarily and say, I saw the comments and I'm not worried about it. He just said, I'm not paying attention to it. Right. That was his at least public comment today. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he wanted to provide any fuel for that fire. I, I think that's kind of what that was. I, you know, just knowing the way the last couple of years have gone, I, I think some of his goal was to get through his first press conference without, um, 
adding any oxygen to something that turns into a big thing because frankly, the last couple of years, you think about how his training camps have started with quotes he has had. Uh, Andrew is pantomiming. You can figure out what he's probably pantomiming. Um, he has he has done some things that have created headlines, and I think he's trying to avoid doing that in a lot yeah, of ways. He, was he, he smiling? Was he smiling that Kirk Cousins smile when he said, "I don't want to"? I don't really don't want to get into that because I've seen that smile before when, he, when he's uncomfortable about something and just doesn't want to get into it. I can't remember. I think so, but yeah, I, I okay. I think he he was. I think he knew he was getting that question. And I'll go back it, and watch. I'll go back and watch the film. The yeah, I, I just don't think film. he's going to okay. entertain it and, and okay. respond to it. I just probably doesn't do him any good. This is just going to seem like I'm dogpiling on him now, but I just wanted to make the joke of yeah, he didn't want to put himself in a plexiglass box. Yes, that was, that was the thing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the segue, natural segue to this, and the important thing for this is Kirk Cousins' relationship with the head coach, with Kevin O'Connell. Both of them spoke about that uh, at length today, just discussing how Kirk is still learning this offense. Obviously, it's July 28th, and how Kevin O'Connell is trying to um, extend that uh, relationship and, and continue it from when they started it back in Washington when Kevin O'Connell was the quarterback's coach and Kirk was the starter there in 2000, I believe it was 17. Um, so we heard Kevin O'Connell say basically that, yeah, he wants, obviously he's the offensive play caller. He wants to have a close relationship with Kirk, wants to meet with him individually when he can. Um, all the things that were a little different from the defensive coordinator who was head coach before, but Kirk always met with the Kubiaks. He always met with the offensive coordinators and play callers in the past. The difference being this time is that it's the head guy. And so I found that interesting because, Ben, we've talked in the spring about you mentioning the anecdote from the softball game, Kirk and uh, Kevin's relationship kind of bleeding over from, you know, learning to know each other just as people into football and how that's going to be one of the most important storylines and one of the most important factors um, for the 2022 Vikings or for however long Kirk is the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. And it's going to be important because as Kirk explained in a couple ways today, there was a moment this spring where he's going through a progression of a play. And he said instinctively, when I would see this coverage and I would see just whatever route combination that we're running, I would progress on to the next uh, route and throw it differently, throw it to the right instead of the left, those kinds of things. And one of the teaching moments was Kirk being told by Kevin, no, I want you to throw that even though your brain's telling you not to, and maybe previous coaches have told you not to, I want you to throw that yeah. pass at that point. Um, that to I me thought is, that was really interesting. Yeah. Just because it's one of those things where Kirk has played in the league long enough. He's going to be 34 soon. Yeah. He has many, many uh, games under his belt, many starts under his belt with many different playbooks He's wired certain ways to do certain things. And now he have to kind of open up the engine and rewire it a little bit. Yeah. And he, and I followed up with him on that. I said, basically, what was it about the progression that made you move on versus what Kevin wanted you to do there? And he didn't you know, break down while well, this was the, the coverage on the play. And I didn't expect him to in, in the middle of the press conference, but we certainly have seen times and he's talked about it too, where it's like, okay, I'm moving on because this guy, isn't open or my rules are taking me here. And you, and you kind of sit there and say, well, not all of your targets are created equal. One of them wears number 18 and probably is worth giving a chance at times. And 
And that may have been what O'Connell was getting at it without knowing exactly what the play was and, and what the coverage was uh, that he's referencing. It's hard to say for sure, but it, if you're making an educated guess on that, and this is kind of where my brain went, the encouragement to, Hey, don't, don't pull off of your first read because you're not completely comfortable with the look you're getting, trust yourself and make a throw. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to wonder if that was the encouragement from O'Connell. I mean, and it was interesting as he responded to say, you, you kind of want to do it the way that coaches ask you to do it. You want to be somebody that plays within the way that the coach draws up the system, which you can, you can dog him for that or not, but you know, everybody wants the, the cowboy that can go make plays on their own. And that works until that doesn't. I mean, we've, we've seen it in green Bay where Aaron Rodgers comes out and it's like, no, I'm running my own version of the offense. And sometimes that works fantastically well. A lot of times it does. And there's times where it's like, you probably need to, to dial it back in. So cousins, is it at a different spot in that spectrum? I think than Rogers is uh, O'Connell may be trying to nudge him a little closer to somebody that, that trusts himself to make a tough throw there. But it, it also took me back to, uh, I think cousins sat down with Mark Craig last fall and talked about this a little bit in terms of coaches having you so systematized sometimes that you're, you're not able to just go let it rip. And that could probably be interpreted as a bit of, uh, shade towards the previous head coach, I think. Um, no secret that their relationship was not as uh, productive as Cousins and O'Connell seem to be so far. But it is another reminder that he is somebody that takes a lot of cues from how he's coached and doesn't necessarily feel like he can just kind of go off script whenever he wants and ignore the things that he's being told by a coach. So it should remind you again that this is a quarterback who, and we've all kind of talked about it. We've all maybe rolled our eyes a little bit, this idea that having a relationship with O'Connell will possibly help him play a different way. But this is a guy that the relationship and the state of the relationship he has with the head coach does matter. I, I think I've said it. I firmly believe that. I think they are betting on that happening. And I think with him, knowing how he tends to work, I, I think that's part of the mix. My uh, my brain went immediately to um, game one of the 2020 season. Yep. And yeah, I know where you're going with this. Fourth down incompletion to Tajay Sharp, who I believe had three targets all year. Um, when I believe after the game, Cousins just basically shrugged that off. I think that's where my reads took me. Like that was who had the one on one matchup. And I bet Kevin O'Connell would. Started over Adam or started over Justin Jefferson. We should remind our uh, listeners. In that yeah, game. well, he you know he did have experience with the Titans. Um, it, uh, it 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 just like I, I bet Kevin O'Connell would watch that film with him and say, "Kirk, uh, I, I respect your progressions, but that ball, uh, this play was not designed to go to Tajay Sharp. Even if Justin Jefferson is covered or whoever was covered, or if you don't think your progression is taking you here, I still want you to make this throw." And that that's probably just a one micro example of you know of something like that. But that was a play that still sticks with me, like a guy who ended up having three targets all year, yeah. I think. And that was a key point in the game they lost. Um, maybe that's a good example of what he's talking about. Well, and it's a good point that you make there, Mike, I think because these plays are designed to go to a certain guy. I mean, you can, you go through your reads and things are covered and things get taken away. Yes. But coaches do design plays with the idea that this person is getting the ball. If, if all goes well and, you know, we hear coaches in the McVeigh 
Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, and you've confirmedly put Kevin O'Connell in this tree, you say a lot of times the answers are within the place. The system has the answers for the quarterback. And, and sometimes you can be almost probably put too much hubris into that. But I do think that's a worth remembering is that coaches design plays with the idea that the first read is going to get the ball and that things are going to work. So, yeah, I, I think that's certainly uh, worth keeping in mind. Tajay Sharp, what a name. What a throwback name, man. That was his moment in the sun, too, with the Vikings. I was like, as you said, three targets the entire year. How about that? Long All lineage right. of uh, veteran receivers who run four six forties that the Vikings signed a one-year, $1 million contract, and we all write in the spring about, hey, this guy could be a big, uh, could, could add another element to this offense. Like Kendall Wright. Well, I was going to uh, say, we, we could spend D.D. Westbrook. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of former AFC South standouts in that group. I'm waiting. It's Albert Wilson's destiny to make a big play early in camp. (laughs) So we all just get talking about Albert Wilson, man. He's going to be the guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's the next one. Aldrick Robinson was like the only one of those guys that actually worked out. I mean, like the just go deep guy. He had like eight touchdowns that year. I think the like flyer, let's find our successor to Jarius Wright that we've never had of those guys. They've tried it with forever. I think Aldrick Robinson is probably in the the Jarius Wright successor Hall of Fame. (laughs) <laughs> what a hall of fame it is be a, we should start that do you think serious right successor hall of fame <laughs> i don't even know where it's located sponsors if you're listening let's talk it's uh it's in arkansas where jerry's right went to college all right let's let's talk about a bona fide uh receiver that we have no questions about in justin jefferson i guess the only question is how much money is he going to be making after he doesn't this care year? he doesn't care much for <laughs> when he's... kicking and screaming to the 30 million dollar pay range I think Quasey too, he did, he did a lot of media this off season. I, I remember him doing some TV network saying something like, you know, we're going to pay as much as it takes to lock him up. And Justin's on the other side going, I don't care about money. I don't care about, I just imagine the negotiations being, no, Justin, take all the money. Justin be like, no, I don't want any of it. The exact opposite. <laughs> it's like two dads in Minnesota trying to pick up a restaurant bill. Yeah. Like I'm going to stick $20 in your pocket when you're not looking. <laughs> All right, but there's there is not a single person here, especially in this Zoom or anywhere that's listening to us, who doesn't believe that Justin Jefferson is very fond of money. What he probably meant to say was that he wasn't concerned with it, nor should he be, because he has all these sponsorship deals. I saw him hawking hats on Twitter after that comment, by the way, has all the sponsorship deals, selling tons of merch, has all the logos, and he is going to be cashing in huge. And what prompted this comment from Justin was a question about the wide receiver market where he was asked about Cooper Cup getting paid, Devontae Adams' new deal, a lot of money getting thrown around to these wide receivers, and he's next. And also, I guarantee Jamar Chase cares a lot about money because Justin Jefferson is going to be setting that volley for Jamar Chase to spike it down as soon as Justin Jefferson gets paid because Jamar is going to end up topping that because that's just how it works. Um, But, Ben, with – with Jefferson entering this offense, there's going to be a lot of comparisons to Cooper Cup, not just with their wallets, but how they're going to be used in this offense. And so what are the reasonable expectations for him? Because he went out and said it. He said, I want to be regarded as the best. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch how this evolves because, I, you know, O'Connell has talked about this, I think, certainly in interviews, and, and I, you, know, you can try to figure out how much stock you put into this. But he does seem aware of the fact that the personnel here has been built in a different way than the Rams had done. There is still a, you know, a fullback on the roster in CJ Ham, 
that they would have had an opportunity to cut if they didn't have a plan for him to be in this offense. They have used multiple tight end sets in the past. I don't think we'll see as much of that as we did, but we saw a lot more two back sets last year. It was a lot more 21 stuff than 12 stuff probably last year. Anyway, I think we're going to see their base offense be 11 personnel with three receivers on the field for the most part, but I, there could be subtle shades of difference in the way they do this. So you, you shouldn't probably look at Cooper cup stats last year and say, that's exactly what Justin Jefferson is going to do this year. It certainly could be. I don't know that it's that easy to just stamp Cooper cups, 2021 season onto Justin Jefferson in 2022. But I was looking at this yesterday. Cup had something like 35 more targets than Jefferson did last year. And, you know, that's basically two a game that he's getting that Jefferson was not. And whether that's plays not being designed to go to him or Cousins moving to the next spot in his progression or, you know, running on second and 10, just, you know, a couple possibilities that it could be. 35 targets is a lot. So I, I think it's reasonable to assume that Jefferson is going to get more opportunities to make things happen in this offense than he did in the past. He certainly seems very excited about what he has seen from the playbook and, and what the role could mean for him. So I, I think you can read into that, that he's, he's seen the, he's certainly seen the offense in its full form. We have not. And if he's excited about it, there's probably a reasonable expectation that he's got good reason to be. And talking to players, uh, whether it's KJ Osborne or Jefferson or Irv Smith or Dalvin, guys are talking about how, you know, we may not know exactly how we're going to be used because, you know, the playbook, the game sheets are going to be whittled down uh, for week one once these guys get on the field and actually start showing what they've retained, what they've learned, what they can do in this system. But they get the sense that they're going to be moved around a lot more. The rates of motion were pretty mediocre for the Vikings, pre-snap motion, uh, at the snap motion, all that kind of stuff. The Rams under Sean McVay were very much known for that and trying to get pieces moving before the snap, get them moving in different directions and get away from the set coverages that the defense were trying to impose on offenses. And what that means for Justin Jefferson is probably a lot more favorable situations where he's going to be getting the ball in easier spots. I still assume he's going to be one of the NFL's best deep threats, but they're probably going to have more creative ways to get him the ball underneath and not just him, but Cook, Irv Smith, and all these other guys. Yeah, I mean, in I don't think this is the role necessarily, but this scheme is has that shared lineage with the 49ers too. So, I mean, is he going to be used exactly like Debo Samuel? No, I don't think so. But there may be packages where I'm, I'm sure they've looked at it. I'm sure they've looked at some of the things that just ways the 49ers get him the ball. It's probably not handing it off, but some of the underneath stuff that allows him to catch and run, we could see a little bit more of that. I wouldn't be stunned to see some of those things happen because yeah, I mean, it's, it's the thing of if somebody has got to tackle him in space, you like your chances of him either making somebody miss or being able to get away in a foot race or, or just being able to be big enough to not come down that easily. So uh, I, I think it's reasonable to think that they, <laughs> it's reasonable that they know what they have in him and that their best chance to win is probably with him getting the ball more than he has. 
Yeah, it was interesting to see. I was looking this up for a project I'm doing where I guess Cooper Cup has led the NFL among receivers and broken tackles each of the past two yeah. years. And he's got more combined just last year than Jefferson has in his first two years. And I think a lot of that is about position where you're getting the ball at. You know, uh, Jefferson does a lot of speed outs, a lot of quick throws, a lot of just yeah. basic hooks where you're getting just mauled as soon as you're catching it. Um, whereas Cooper cup seems like, or like a Debo seems to be getting the ball on the run. Things are set up a lot more efficiently for you to be moving once you catch it and evading those tacklers. Um, what we've seen for Jefferson is sure he can slip tacklers, but we're often seeing it on these bombs downfield where he's dodging safeties left and right and is making things happen afterwards. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what that looks like for this offense. And I'm sure Jefferson is as well entering right before he can get paid next off. One interesting side note to all this too, like Cooper cup, um, his targets went way up last year. It's not like he's been getting all these targets for in perpetuity. Uh, he had 191 targets last year, which is absurd. He had 145 catches the year before that he had 124, uh, Justin Jefferson had 125 that year the year before that he had 134. Um, you know, obviously that comes as you get better, as you gain in stature, but it's not like the Rams were like, since the beginning of time have been decided they have to get him the ball. But if Kevin O'Connell saw this all of a sudden, it's like, well, getting Cooper cup, the ball a lot in 2021, got us to a super bowl does stand to reason that he's going to employ the same philosophy with Justin Jefferson. Well, the Cooper cup, not really a breakout, but the, the first time I really remember kind of, I mean, he, I guess 2017, he was kind of on the map, but the, the, the game against the Vikings in 2018 where he caught that, I think it was on a weak concept where he's blocking and then runs a deep over. Um, he, he had a big night in that shootout that the Vikings played at the LA Coliseum. Uh, and th- I think that was on a team with Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. And, and both those guys obviously are gone now. They had Odo Beckham too, but he was hurt for a stretch last year. So that might've pushed his target numbers up. But I think you can assume there will be, um, more three receiver sets, more just opportunities to get people the ball in space. And I think Cooper, or Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, probably all stand a benefit from that. It'll be interesting to see how much they can spread it around when you've got that guy with that bona fide star, much different than, than even Cooper Cup going into the past year or two, where you know this guy's one of the greatest of all time already in Justin Jefferson. Because uh, he's shown it in just you know these 33 games that he's played in the NFL. Uh, one guy they're going to try to get the ball to is Irv Smith Jr. He came out uh, as a full participant right away in training camp, 11 months removed from that knee surgery to repair that meniscus. That was a goal for the Vikings training staff and offense to get him to this point healthy. Seems like they've gotten to that point uh, right now. But we've heard from this coaching staff already from Kevin O'Connell that they're not going to be afraid to pull the reins back and just talking to people behind the scenes too, about how this training staff's going to operate. They're going to monitor guys usage. And even if, you know, even if he's not, somebody's not, you know, showing an MRI with some torn tissue, they might give even younger guys some days off here in training camp or us in the media will be like, Oh, what's wrong with, you know, take your pick Eric. I guess Kendricks isn't young anymore, but you know, take your pick with Dalvin Tomlinson or Daniel Hunter. It'll just be, no, they've tracked their usage, their GPS, whatever is saying that this guy's run X amount of miles the past couple of days. They just want to give him a day off. And that's seems to be somewhat different from what we're used to in observing Vikings practice. And with Irv Smith Jr., that's another guy where Kevin O'Connell said, if something comes up, we will pull the reins back basically and, and keep him on the sidelines with vision of 
September 11th, that opener against Green Bay. So this training camp in many ways is going to look a little different than what we're used to seeing. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to assume it's going to look a little different. Um, Now, Mike Zimmer did start to begrudgingly, I think by his own admission, use some of the GPS data late last season. But you saw a lot of years where that team was out of gas by December. And there is, I think there's certainly a lot more thought. In Zimmer, probably it was, okay, they need a day off, I'll adjust the schedule. But there's a difference between doing that and saying, let's set up the entire thing so that we are placing a high value on keeping guys fresh heading into the season. There's, there's a different way to do that. And I, I say that from, uh, you know, I, I write training plans for the runners, I coach. And there is a difference between, okay, we need a day here. Let's, let's switch what we're doing and saying, let's set this up so that we progress and we have some idea of how fresh we need to be and how much we are trying to peak, have guys peak when it matters. And there is an intentionality that goes into that. I think with this group that at least the way they're talking about it sounds a lot different than what we've seen in the past. And, and uh, we'll see if it works. There's a randomness to injuries that you can't necessarily say, this is, this is going to work. They're never going to have injury problems, but I do think, I mean, I, I remember this with the Packers a little bit too, where you'd have years where they, they everybody we hurt and you just sit there and be like, man, they're they totally stink bit with injuries. And I think they had some of that. They had a lot of injuries last year too, but those first couple of years with Matt LaFleur, they were a lot less beat up than they had been in the last year with Mike McCarthy. And it's like, well, maybe there is something to this, that if we're not beating them up and putting their muscles under quite as much stress in practices and just reducing the load that it can translate to better health and better uh, sustainability on the field. You think that will extend to decisions that they make on, you know, players who are kind of on the borderline or like, are you, can you play? Uh, should we give you this week off? Things like that. Cause it felt like with Zimmer, it was pretty clear and he was pretty steadfast. And if you're healthy enough to play, you're going to play. And maybe even that if you're Sam Bradford and you're not healthy enough to play, you're going to play. Um, but, um, cause we need you to play, but do you, do you imagine that, I mean, is that, we should not that, put all of that on Mike, on Mike Zimmer either. Uh, no, no, that, absolutely not. That, absolutely not. That, but just, there were other forces <laughs> play there, uh, that yes. were very much part of that decision. Yes. I right. made the Bradford one's a bad example, but just in general, it seemed like he was old school and that, uh, Hey, uh, if you're recovered enough to play, we're not going to like hold you back for another week. Yeah. Um, and the kind of yeah. sugar, you know, sugarcoat this. We're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to throw you right back in there. So I I just wonder if these guys will handle it differently. Yeah, I I think that's true. We did hear Zimmer at times say, if a guy is healthy enough to play, he's going to play. We're not going to do this thing where we save him for later. I mean, they had the occasional time where they did, if they punched a playoff spot or something, but like the Dalvin cook one in 2018, where they kept saying, we're going to try to put him out there every week with his hamstring rather than just shutting it down to the point where cook said, I learned from that, that I need to be my own advocate and say, don't go back out there. And Cook said he told Adam Thielen that the next year. And you heard, I've heard Anthony Barr had times where he did that, where it's like, no, I know I'm not ready. I'm not going to play. And I think Eric Hendricks has had moments of that. There were a lot of times where players advocating for themselves in that way did not sit well with the previous administration. I think that is probably going to be different 
here. Now, if you have a game in December that you have to win and a guy is questionable, are you going to say, you know what, we're going to take the long view here and hold you out? Probably not. I mean, you're going to pay to play. You're going to pay to win games. I think that probably is still going to be the way it is in a lot of NFL cities. I'm not saying this is going to be that different in that regard, but I think the overall thought process is going to be um, the, the baseline of it's going to be a little different than it's been. All right, guys, we've got about 10 minutes left and I want to go through and just kind of hit off some storylines. Things we're going to be watching for in camp off of what we were just talking about. There's only going to be nine padded practices before that second preseason game. There's going to be a couple after that. And then the starters probably won't end up playing in that third and final preseason game in Denver on August 27th, but that's 11 padded practices out of a maximum 16 that they're allowed to have. So that is a a numerical way right there of describing how they're going to be pulling back the reins just a little bit on how much they're going to be asking these guys to go through before they get to September um, and and into week one against the Packers. Um, One thing I'm looking for, and I want to go around the zoom and, and, have you guys offer up something that you were, uh, um, you know, looking forward to or trying to figure out with this training camp, Mike, you brought up the backup quarterbacks before we even started this. That's a, that's, that's a big one. I think Ben, you had heard something about Kellen Mond too. So we might as well start with that one. Actually, Mike, if you're not choking, are you I don't right, know Mike? what's going on here. I feel like the last two <laughs> minutes, there's been like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not eating anything. I just, uh, I probably need to get a drink of water once the podcast is over. I'm okay. I'm fine. There's nothing obstructing my airway. There's just like something kind of tickling my throat at this point. So thank you for your concern. We'll give you some reps off. Actually, let, let me start that management from Mike's vocal cords. He does a lot of these podcasts. We do one, like this is the first one we've done in months. He's doing Timberwolves. (laughs) He's doing daily delivery. I mean, yeah, we, we need to get Mike some, some reps off here. I I think in the spirit of this, it, it makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, we, we need to listen to the training staff here and, and actually do what's oh, best. Do what's best for the podcaster. Um, all right, I want to start off then by I, what I'm looking forward to is the transition, obviously, to this three-four defense. And there's going to be a lot of questions about the secondary, but particularly in the front, you've got basically only Dalvin Tomlinson and Zadarius Smith have ever played this defense before. Have shifted into a three-four and done these things. The Vikings themselves, as a franchise have not played in a 3-4 since 1980s. So it's been now four decades, and they're shifting back to this. Obviously, none of the players um, have really done this before. And so how is Harrison Phillips going to adjust to being a nose and having to take up double teams the entire time when he was playing in a 4-3 and playing more off the guard in Buffalo? How is Daniil Hunter going to transition into a stand-up role and having to drop into coverage and know that certain motions and certain alignments are going to affect his job as opposed to being a 4-3 defensive end, where it's basically just line up off tackle and go get the quarterback. It is going to be very different for some of these guys. Now, Daniil's fortunate that he's got Zadarius Smith. He's got a coaching staff that's pretty adept at teaching these things. But for a guy now who's going to be 27 years old, I believe, going on 28, it's going to be a big change for him. And somebody whose primary job and, and really primary skill set has been just destroying offensive tackles Um, depending on the rush plan, he might be dropping more than we're used to seeing and not always being there in the pass rush. How much too of this multiple defense, because we saw so much in the spring and even at the start of camp with guys lining up, moving all over the place, uh, different packages, sub packages, uh, some of the old like psycho stuff you would see from green Bay where they got one down lineman, like six guys standing around them. 
how much of that's actually going to come to fruition? We saw that with Mike Zimmer's defenses where they would like try things out and realize, oh, these guys can't remember it or can't run it correctly. Let's pull it back. Um, then we heard from Ed Donatel today and saying, we have to find that sweet spot of what these guys can do while not making it too simple. Yeah, I think you've seen teams kind of go back and forth with that over the years where you try to put in a lot of stuff. You try to put in a lot of, um, well, to use to use a phrase from a Mike Zimmer controversy on the other side of the ball, put in a lot of volume uh, in your playbook. And I think at times, yeah, it can get difficult, especially if you have guys that are new to a system or have bounced around and played in a number of different places that don't have all of the, the time in the seat that you have had here in the past. And, and the benefit, I think, of the old system when it was good was that it was fairly simple uh, in the sense that you didn't have all of these different personnel packages. You had guys that kind of lined up in the same spots and the variation came with all of the different calls in terms of who was dropping, who was going to be where, um, who was, who was coming from what spot in a blitz. Uh, you, you had, I think some of those things that with Harrison Smith or with the linebackers that you could get a lot of matchups the way you wanted them based on that. But it got to a point where people kind of figured it out and they figured out the rules when the Vikings were going to censor it to people and, and it was able, you're able to beat it that way. So trying to be more deceptive and trying to do some different things, I think is a good goal. The question is always just, can players get to the point where they can execute it on the fly, especially when it's year one of a new system, you, you don't have anymore a defense where you have six or seven starters that have been in it for five, six, seven years, like you had in the past. And some of that allowed the processing time to slow down and, and players could, could make decisions and, and make calls and checks a lot faster. That's going to take a little bit more time with this. And, and I think that the hope for them is that they'll get there, but yes, making it overly complicated and putting in all sorts of sub packages and all sorts of different rules with those sub packages can be something that if you're not doing it the right way, it could probably slow things down more than speed them up. Well, and this was the 29th ranked run defense last year. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're in base, Armand Watts is going to be a starter. He was starting last year for Michael Pierce when he were the 29th ranked run defense. So there's some big questions of how is Harrison Phillips going to be enough? Is this shift into a five-man kind of front with bigger bodies with Zadarius and Daniel on the edge and then the three down linemen? Is that going to be enough to shore that up with Jordan Hicks and Eric Hendricks in the middle to get into these nickel situations, get into these dime situations that Ed Donatel, who's truly a secondary coach, likes to be able to mix it up with the different pieces that they've got and drafted. So, Mike, this defense could look very different, um, but I'm, I'm just wondering if the results are going to be very different. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think you got I think both of you made good points, and that this is, you know, you, you start. I, I found myself wondering in my head as Ben was talking. Well, you know, why switch to a three-four at this moment in time if a lot of your personnel is largely the same, <clears throat> and they're not really familiar with running a three-four defense. But then, to Andrew, your point. Um, they weren't very good the last two years as a four, three defense. You know, some of that's because Hunter was injured. They've had various injuries and some of it may be because Zimmer's schemes got a little stale and predictable, even though that was kind of his calling card for a lot of years was how good his defenses was. You know, sometimes the players just get older, <clears throat> whatever it was, it was not good the last two years. So maybe that is a time for a, a change, but yeah, it's going to be, that's going to be the bit. I think that's the biggest question 
this year. You know, I think the offense, that's where that should be their identity. You got an offensive head coach, you've got more, you know, in their prime, uh, star style players in, in the, on the offense than you do probably on the defense. And, you know, as much as O'Connell will <clears throat> put his stamp on it, you're not going to be reinventing what you're asking Justin Jefferson to do necessarily. He's going to make it easier for him probably and better for him with the defense. You have no idea how Daniil Hunter is going to function in the three, four defense. You have really no idea how your secondary is going to hold up behind who knows what kind of pass rush you're going to get. So there's the defense is a beautiful mystery uh, to bring back another quote from, from the past. Daniel Hunter describes it as being more free or more loose in this defense, but while he's able to do more things and move around a lot more, it comes with a lot of thinking that could kind of slow somebody down, even a veteran like himself who hasn't had to read alignments and coverages in the way that he's going to have to um, this time around. Ben, you had brought up the secondary and some question marks there. Is, is that kind of what you're looking for mostly? Is there something else? I, yeah, the secondary, I think, is the big one to me in the sense that you're almost certainly going to be counting on somebody that is either a rookie or has not started a full season in the NFL. I mean, Cameron Dantzler or Andrew Booth is probably starting at one of the quarterback spots, um, unless they put Shannon Sullivan in a a base look. But in nickel, you're going to be counting on one of those guys. Um, In the secondary, at safety, it's either Andrew Bynum or Lewis Seen, where, you know, maybe Lewis Seen picks it up right away. I mean, it certainly seemed like, deciphering route concepts and combinations in college was something he did really well at Georgia defense. It's hard to look at that group and say that those guys aren't NFL ready, given what they did to Alabama in the national title game and what they did through a lot of the season, but you're still a rookie. It's still the the jump from college to the NFL. Uh, Yeah. I I think those things are what I'm curious to see. And I also want to see is Patrick Peterson a number one corner anymore or did teams not throw at him very much last year because the options on the other side were a lot more appetizing than Patrick Peterson. So they have a lot to figure out. I think with that group, you got two guys that have, I think 14 pro bowls between them that are both North of 30 and both heading into year 11 or year 12 in the league. And then you got guys that are, are brand new. So there's not a 27 year old, that's in the prime of his career where he's got enough experience and is still young enough to stand out at the spot. So you're either counting on older guys still being able to do it in their second decade in the league, basically, or you're counting on young guys to figure it out pretty quickly. So that that's kind of the, the spot. I think that's going to hold a lot of the key to whether they're a playoff team or not. Well, that, I mean, you brought up, throwing opposite Patrick Peterson. It wasn't, obviously we know it wasn't just Bashad Breeland and Cameron Dancer. Like Mackenzie Alexander had such a rough year last year. And their answer was to bring in on a bargain deal, Shandon Sullivan, who I guess I don't know too much about his time at Green Bay, but whenever I looked up, it wasn't anything good that was happening around Shandon Sullivan. So uh, we got to give him obviously a fair shake here in Minnesota before we judge what he can do here. But that's another big one where you basically have, you trust Harrison Smith, you trust probably Patrick Peterson. And then you've got three question marks uh, all around them in that secondary. And then a secondary that they, the coaching staff says they want to play even more defensive backs. And that was always the thing with Zimmer holding back any sub packages was he could barely find five defensive backs that he trusted. So I think with the nice, I think the nice thing about it is that, um, 
I think the deficiencies in the secondary might make it so that it's not the weak, that the offensive line is no longer the weakest position group on the team. Oh, yeah, no. as you're talking about this, Andrew, I'm kind of, I can kind of see Mike's brain turning up like oh, yeah, well, we haven't talked a minute about the offensive line yet, which is which is probably a good sign for them. Like it's a sign that it's not that it's good, but that it's it's uh not even the least of their concerns, but maybe it's not the primary concern or that there's other more pressing issues with this year's team than maybe the offensive line. Maybe, maybe. Mike, is that we'll what is that what you're looking for out of this training camp the most? Because they are going to have to go up against Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith throughout much of this. So we will learn a little bit about them. Kenny Clark and Garrett Bradbury week one. Yeah. Uh, well, but, you know, Garrett Bradbury, they're, they're, they like Garrett Bradbury from what I understand. They're, they, they do. They're going to ski. They're going to scheme around it. I don't know. I, I, I think that I think the offensive line is always still a question until it's proven to be not a question. And for, for some reason, I'm still like, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm curious about, backup quarterback doesn't really matter probably because cousins you know you know knock on wood for the vikings never gets hurt so it's like these guys never play but you know kellen mond like is just kind of out of sight out of mind after you know being drafted last year and then you know mike zimmer just couldn't stop opening his mouth and trashing him it's just like he's got this like can he it's almost like a reclamation project even though he's never played an actual game like is he actually a viable prospect going forward like if he can't win the number two job this year and then you started you're talking about okay that that's just not probably not going to happen because it's you know if you can't beat out sean manning in year two then this is just kind of a wasted third round pick and wherever you're going quarterback wise after kirk cousins isn't going to be kellen mon so it's kind of interesting in that regard i will say and this could be training camp chatter that kids could find in the dustbin of history but mon apparently was working out with uh, Adam Thielen, among others, this offseason, kind of that group that Thielen has put together out in Woodbury in the offseason. And it sounds like from what I heard from those workouts that Mon looked pretty good. So uh, Thielen, I, from what I've heard, came away pretty impressed with the improvement he's made. So, um, and I, you know, I've heard people say last year, like he wasn't that bad. It's just that Zimmer, I think from the moment they made that pick, was not happy with it. So, I mean, he, I think wanted something else there. And, and that, the, the means by which he came in here was probably not something that was ever going to be something he could get over with the previous staff. So, um, it sounds like that was part of what happened there. So, um, what, in what any game? case, they're optimistic about him. What game did he play in last year? I'm just, I just, I feel like I've erased it from my mind, but like, didn't didn't he have to play and then they put Mannion back in and something happened? I can't he remember. played like a series in that Green Bay game that they lost. Okay. That Mannion was bad. I think Mannion oh yeah. Hurt and oh Mon- the COVID, yeah, the cousins COVID game, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Mon was was very good in that game either. I heard that week that they had a couple of packages in there for him to take advantage of his mobility, but they never went to him. Now, because um, that was the game after which Chip Scoggins asked. Zimmer, if you wanted to see Mon play the next week, and that was <laughs> Zimmer, but not particularly. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll see with him, but at least off-season reports are that he's uh, he's looked good. So he's in the best shape of his life. You know, lots of lots of things to be excited about. A little bit different vibes around the quarterbacks in this training camp than the last one. If nothing bit. else, if nothing else gets aggregated from this whole podcast, the 51st minute on Kellen Mond and Ben talking about how Adam <laughs> Thielen thinks he's looking good will get aggregated. 
<laughs> oh, good. Not, Words to uh, to live by forever. Worth it if it leads to the revelation that Thielen's running one of these burner accounts that's just trashing Sean Mannion nonstop <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Get in line, Adam. Get in line. Is, that's true. That is unconfirmed. We do not know that Adam Thielen has burner accounts, but we'll find out on the next Access Vikings podcast. Yeah, do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less. <laughs>